good morning. Good morning, Overlake. It is wonderful to be with you today. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. Just follow along where we're going. As Michelle mentioned just a moment ago, we are starting a brand new series called Advent. And we're kind of walking through uh, the, the sort of the four pillars of Advent. And uh, let's just begin by inviting you to cast your mind back to when you were a child, right? When you were just maybe in elementary school, or if, if you're a parent of elementary school kids, you don't even have to cast your mind back. You can just think about what's happening right now in your own house. Because when I was in elementary school, this was fairly common. Um, when you're a kid, the month of December, it takes forever to get through, right? And, and you're just so excited about the, you know, the upcoming Christmas that, that's sort of on the far horizon. And, and just it just takes forever. December just lasts and lasts. And in our house growing up, we did have one of those little calendars with doors and chocolate behind it. Uh, I don't, did anybody have that in your house? What are those calendars called, by the way? Advent calendars. There you go. And so, you know, I was one of three. So I only got to eat the chocolate every third day. And that was like, it took uh, like an eternity to get to. And, and that's all, you know, that's all fine and good. You know, it just takes a long time to get through December when you're a kid. But, but especially after school gets out. And you don't have anything to do except for wait all day long, you know, until Christmas comes. And it just is like, oh, it's like molasses trying to get through December. Now, as adults, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? Like, like December just goes like that. We're like, what, three weeks? Oh, you know, we're not ready for Christmas to arrive. And, but what's interesting is no matter how long it seemed to take, the promise of Christmas morning always arrived, did it not? That, that the promise was always fulfilled. And that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about this concept of arrival, that hope arrives. And in fact, if you think about that word Advent, Advent simply means arriving or, or coming. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we mark this season well as we celebrate uh, the arrival specifically of Messiah, the arrival of Jesus. And for a, a couple thousand years, those who follow Jesus have celebrated this season, have celebrated his arrival in a very similar way. Um, and so we are also going to do this as a, we're, we're sort of of the Protestant evangelical tradition. So we don't often like sync up with the more orthodox calendaring. Um, but I would just tell you personally as a pastor, every once in a while, it really is good for us to participate in our faith, joining like, uh, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of years of our, our fathers and mothers and faith before us and kind of join that stream of celebration. So what we're going to do, we've got four candles. We're going to celebrate Advent with the lighting of candles. And today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to light the candle of hope, if I can get my lighter to work. So the candle of hope, and there are three more candles, and we'll light one each week, and you'll have to come back to find out what those are. You know, hashtag teaser moment right there. 
By the way, none of this is new. So none of what we're going to be talking about is an original idea. I've shared this before with you, Overlake. If I ever have an original idea, I'm going to throw a party. Uh, that would be a great, great day. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things on my Christmas list for Santa. Uh, bring me an original idea. So, um, but, but I want you to recognize this, that when we're talking about hope, for those of us who value Scripture, that's tied just absolutely connected to the idea in scripture of prophecy. And what prophecy is, is prophecy is a promise about what is to come. And so when you think about the hope we have, especially in this faith conversation, the hope that we have is always connected to, it's predicated upon a promise that God has made. And I want you to think about that for a moment. It's actually the exact same reason why kids are, are so excited about the upcoming Christmas morning. The reason why children are so excited is because there's this unspoken promise that on Christmas morning, they are going to get gifts. And they're going to get gifts that they want. They're going to get gifts that they need. Or they're going to get gifts that they think they need. Uh, and, and, and just this idea of this unspoken promise is just so exciting. The anticipation that builds. Um, I just want to ask you, can we, uh, you seem a little stiff this morning, I don't know, uh, uh, maybe not enough caffeine, I mean, like free coffee out there, maybe you hit the eggnog a little too hard last night, I don't know, but here's the deal, question for you, show of hands, how many of you, when you were a child, you hunted around the house to find a Christmas present that was yours, anybody find your presents in advance, look at all of you, oh my, such honest, sinful people, I, I love it. Uh, okay, so just now, this is going to take some humility, but we're in church. You can do this. How many of you um, unwrapped your gift and played with it? Anybody play with their gifts ahead of time? Oh, wow. So many. So many. So uh, <laughs> my, my wife was telling me a story. She did this when she was a kid. She found her gift. She played with it. And then she broke it. What do you do when that happens, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Santa is watching, by the way. Uh, see who's naughty and nice. So, you know, as a father in our home, I feel like we've, we've done this fairly well with our children. I get three kids. And I feel like every Christmas season, it, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job of keeping it focused on Jesus. And we celebrate. Obviously, there's a lot of gifts that are given. But we try to make every Christmas special. And I feel like we, you know, we get a pretty good grade as parents on that. However, it is true that there was one Christmas we just totally missed it, my wife Jody and I. We just missed it. And I'll, I'll just briefly tell you the story. It was the year that my son Caleb was around five years old. And Caleb was, uh, yeah, a little cutie pie, Caleb. And, and, and he's not now. He's a snarky teenager. But that, back then, he was... Uh, cutie pie Caleb. And so, so Caleb, he had let us know a, a few of the gifts that he was interested in, excited about. And so, um, you know, it, those gifts are wrapped under the tree. And, and on Christmas Eve, we've sort of got this tradition where the kids would write a little note to Santa to leave out by the milk and cookies. And uh, so it's a little, like a little love note or a little thank you note or wh whatever they wanted. And so, on Christmas Eve, as he's writing his little note to Santa, he gives this preemptive thank you for a gift that he had talked to Santa about, but he never mentioned to Jody or I. 
because why would he need to tell his parents? Like, why do they need to know, you know? Uh, he had told Santa, that was all that was important. He thanked Santa for this, uh, it, at the time, it was real popular, it was a Nintendo DS. It was like that gaming console that would fit right in the palm of your hand. And uh, so he's writing this note. He's so excited, telling Santa, thank you, you know, in advance for bringing this special DS for him. And, and Jody and I look at each other. We're just hearing about it for the first time on Christmas Eve. And as many of you know, in, you know, in church world, that's a work day for me, right? So it's like, oh. So we just kind of like, did you? I didn't know, you know. So he's just kind of grimace. And we're like, oh, I hope he forgets by tomorrow morning, you know. And so the next morning rolls around, and, and Caleb, just with his little hope-filled voice, he runs over, and he grabs his first gift, and he's like, I bet this is my DS. And he opens it up, and of course, it's not his DS. And, and then the next gift, he's like, ooh, this is the right size for a DS. And he opens it up, and of course, it's not. And all morning long, every single gift, he's like, oh. I bet this one's again, you know, the DS. And, and, and my dad's heart, it, it just was breaking inside because I missed that moment for him. I just didn't know and he hadn't told me. And all. Uh, so it was just one of those deals where after we did all of Christmas morning, and he was a good sport about it. He, he didn't like throw tantrums or anything. He was, he was a good sport about not getting, you know, the one thing he was really hoping for. So we kind of gathered, we had give, been given some um, gift cards for Christmas, and so we gathered those up, and the following day, we took him out, and we uh, acquired a DS for him, and I did that, you know, because I'm a good dad, and, uh, and I'm also a bit of a sucker, so, um, but, but what I want you to see about that scenario is his hope was predicated on this promise, unspoken though it was, that he would get his heart's longing fulfilled. And I want you to see that as followers of Jesus, those in the stream of faith, that's the source of our hope as well. The hope is actually predicated in a promise. And you might want to fill in that blank. That's the uh, sort of the foundation or the bedrock of hope for our lives. Our hope is predicated upon a promise. And so let's go into this. I, I mentioned it's going to be the promise will be found in prophecy in Scripture. So if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, it's like page 3 of your Bible, you will see that the, the situation is God has created a good universe, a beautiful playground called Earth, two, two wonderful and, and you know, absolutely beautifully formed human beings together in a garden called Delight. Garden of Eden, translated delight. And, and in that, he says, all things are permissible. Have fun. You know, there's, there's the, yeah, a charge for stewarding and a charge for, for, you know, multiplying, spreading, you know, like have lots of kids and, and steward well this, this, this wonderful planet. And then he says, everything's permissible. Like there's nothing off limits except for one thing. Don't eat of this tree. And so back then, of course, when God says, don't eat of this tree, what do they do? The one thing they, they can't have, they focus on must eat of tree, right? And, you know, and we're not like that today. I mean, back then, they were fixated on the one thing that they couldn't do. Uh, I'm so glad that for us today, we never fixate on the one thing that we're not supposed to, to do. I'm so glad we've matured beyond that. That's sarcasm, guys. Come on. Track with me. 
So, so uh, they're tempted by the serpent, uh, they eat of the tree, and then sin enters the world. It's called the fall, the great fall, the great thud. Uh, it, it's where now suddenly there's a curse. All that was good, now there's a curse. There's the curse of sin. There's the, the curse over all of good creation. So this is what God says specifically to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity or animosity, hatred, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It's really interesting. In other words, God's saying, look, between the the human offspring here and, and the source of this serpent, there's going to be hatred, there's going to be animosity. But there is a he coming who will strike at the very head of evil. There is a he coming who will crush the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. And it's, it's in the very first pages of scripture we see a hint that there is a future he coming. And so you can begin to get excited about this. And then in Genesis 49, we read an episode about one of the patriarchs of the, the nation of Israel, Jacob. And he's giving a blessing to his son, many sons. He's giving his blessing to his son, Judah. And Judah will actually become a great tribe in Israel, tribe of Judah. And, and, and so as Jacob is praying this blessing over Judah, he says these words, the scepter What's a scepter? The scepter is that symbol of power. It's a symbol of reigning or ruling. So the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, look at this, until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. So interesting. So Jacob's praying this blessing over Judah, and he's saying, of the line of Judah and of the tribe of Judah, there will be a he coming. And the scepter of ruling, the scepter of reigning, it's actually his scepter. And look at this. He's not just going to be a king over one nation. It says the obedience of the nations. He's going to be a king above kings. And, and so now you, you get a, a little bit more of a full glimpse. Well, who's coming? This, this future he, this future one who reigns. He's going to strike at the heart of evil, and he's going to reign. He's going to rule. Okay, let's go uh, to 2 Samuel 7. And we read about David, King David in 2 Sam, 1 and 2 Samuel. David, that, that man after God's own heart. David is the king of Israel. He is of the tribe of Judah, which we just talked about. And David says to God in one passage, he says, God, I want to build you a house. I want to to build you a a great house. And in this this beautiful, tender relationship that God has with David, God says, thank you. He says, no, I instead will build you a house. God says, I will establish a throne for you. I will establish a house for you forever. Look at this. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God says, your house and kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. You might want to circle the words forever because that's now what's important here. In other words, he says to David, from your line, there will be a ruler who rules 
for eternity. Now eternity is brought into the equation. And so what you need to see, and by the way, again, in the, the realm of David, if you read Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 2, what you'll see is that the relationship that this he has, this prophetic he that's coming, he has a father-son relationship with God Almighty. God says, you are my son, today I become your father. That there's this, this father-son relationship with this coming he. And, I, and the point that I'm trying to make here is that passages like this, they, they fed Israel hope in the midst of dark times. Did Israel have dark times? Absolutely. They had times where there was no harvest. They had times of famine. They had times of slavery. They had times of oppression where they were besieged, where they were assaulted. They had times of exile. There were all sorts of different seasons. And in the dark times, you could just imagine that the Israelites, they held on to this with such hope. They clung to these promises because they were promises of hope. There's even indication that at the time of Jesus, when a woman would go into labor to have a child, they would fervently pray, and those around her would pray, Lord, may this be Messiah. Can you just feel the hope tangible? They were so longing to meet Messiah. A couple years ago, I was on a plane down to California, and across the aisle from me was uh, a really excited three-year-old and her mom. And so I was just chatting across the aisle, and the little girl was so excited because they were heading down to meet up with her daddy and the wife's husband. He was a soldier just returning from Iraq. They hadn't seen each other for quite some time. And the little girl's like, my daddy's a hero. And I said, yes, he is. He is a hero. And the woman was so excited to see her husband she'd been apart from. And, and so I just chatted with them for a while. And then as um, we exited the plane, I went down to the baggage claim. And I just kept half an eye out to see the first beautiful moments of reunion. Where there were squeals, there was laughter, there were hugs, there were tears. Right, all of that beautiful reunion happening because why? This promise of being together again, the promise that he is coming and we are going to be together as a family. And, and I just want you to see how tangible that kind of hope is. I was going to show you a video uh, of that. I'm sure you, some of you have already seen videos. If you go on YouTube, uh, I was looking this week at videos of, of soldiers coming back or surprising their kids or surprising their spouses uh, as they return. And, and uh, the reason why I didn't show them to you is because as I was watching them this week, I, I would just cry, ugly, ugly cry. And I didn't want to put you through that. But you can look that up on your own and just see those moments. They're just so, so beautiful. So I want us to get our, our minds around this kind of palpable hope that the Israelites lived in. The, the prophecy that was written that, that creates a promise from God that allows them to build their hope upon. The prophet Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 11, th 1 through 3. He says, a, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is King David's father of the line of Judah, from which the scepter will never be removed. Okay, so a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, 
the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the Messiah will come, come out of Jesse's line, David's line, line of Judah, and the passage then, if you continue to read, it goes on and it talks about what he will bring, to talk about his justice for the poor, about how under his reign there will be uh, not only social and moral renovation, but the entire created order will be affected. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the cow with the bear, God's justice and his mercy, his compassion, the air of peace where all of creation will be reconciled. Can you just sense what is being birthed in this passage, the inauguration of a new reality? Such hope is being given. And you can imagine how this would fester in the mind of a people who is acquainted with hardship or with slavery or with exile. So many seasons in the life of of Israel, they would pray, Lord, how long must we wait? Oh, Lord, how long until your day approaches, until your Messiah comes? And so I want to make this super, super clear. It'll be on the screen. You might want to write this down. The minute evil enters the world, God promises a he to crush it. Of Judah's line will come this he, a king above kings. Isaiah speaks of this anointed he as ushering in a reconciled reality with God. He is spoken of as the son of the Most High from Psalm 2. The prophets and the Psalms point to the same he, the Messiah who saves. And he is the bedrock of all hope for God's people. Now, I've just mentioned a few of the prophetic utterances in the Old Testament scriptures, but I want you to understand, and some of you who have already done this study know, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to Messiah, who he is, where he'll be born, how he'll live, what he'll teach, what he'll accomplish. So I want you to understand all of this is going on, stirring the mind, stirring the hearts of God's people, the Israelites. Now, we come to nativity. Now we come to this season that we're celebrating right now of Advent. And I want you to hear these words with that backdrop in mind. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The name Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sins. He'll be known as the son of the most high from Psalm 2. He'll have the throne of his father David, a shoot of the line of Jesse. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Remember Jacob's blessing to Judah. His kingdom will never end. This is an eternal reality where the nations will come underneath him. He will be a king above kings. Friends, what this passage means is Messiah is come. Right? This is cause for celebration. This is that beautiful reunion you've been longing for for so long. And it's an amazing thing. And that's what we celebrate. We celebrate this time of Christmas when we celebrate the birth of the infant Jesus. And, and so all of that is, is in the 
background, in, in the mindset of those Israelites who would have read these words or have known of them, been, shared with them, oh, this is Messiah. Messiah is here. My hope is now made tangible. The promise has now been fulfilled. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what's interesting is then you look at the life of Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus, he, he lived wonderfully. And he, and he grew in, in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God and favor with his peers, with those around him. So all of this was beautiful. And then Jesus begins his ministry. And as Jesus begins his ministry, one of the very first things that he shares, he shares this. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, turn around. Don't, don't live a, a, a God-less life. Don't live a, a life away from God, but turn around and live a with-God life. Why? He says, because the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those are a couple of phrases that are used. And what's interesting, as you read through the Gospels, you see that King Jesus, Messiah Jesus, actually did inaugurate this new reality. As he walked through the countryside, when he saw folks who had disease, what did he do? He healed them. When he saw folks who were afflicted by demons, what did he do? He, he cast the demons out. What, you know, he was able to, to feed people. He was able to, to care for their needs as well as care for their souls. This was this beautiful picture of heaven crashing into earth. Right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's breaking in. Why? Because the king is here. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful reality. Everyone was so excited. Everyone's cheering. Crowds flocked to him. The disciples, they were on fire. You know, hey, we're with you, Jesus. All this stuff was really, really beautiful. But then Jesus started to do something that confused them. And it might be confusing to us. He not only talked about this reality of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's breaking in. It's within you. But then he also talked about a future kingdom. He said, not only is the Messiah here, but he's talking about the Messiah will come. And so he started teaching things like this. And, and this was confusing to the disciples. He said, when the Son of Man comes in glory, he's talking about himself. When I come in glory, and they're like, wait, come, you're, you're here. What do you mean when you come? When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And so that you could imagine sort of the, the confusion of the disciples in that moment. Because a lot of what Jesus talks about is present tense. Like, th this is happening now. I am with you now. The, the kingdom is breaking in now. And then he also talks future tense. And the Son of Man will return when the Son of Man comes in glory. That there's this future reality as well. And it confused his disciples. And maybe it confuses some of us. But what Jesus was doing is he was having us see that, that yes, he's, he's with you, right? Yes, he's Emmanuel, God, with you. But there's also a, a second reality, a greater reality of the kingdom actually, uh, you, you know, culminating history. And the, the new reality that the prophet Isaiah speaks about, all of nature and creation being reconciled to God, that's not happening yet. And so what's interesting, I want you to think about the disciples for a moment. They are with Jesus from start to finish. They hear him teaching. They see all these miracles that he performs. 
And you could imagine as they track with him, then it comes to where the persecution starts. And they see Jesus taken and they see him beaten and they see him crucified. That horrific experience of the crucifixion. And then three days later, they see him raised to new life. They see the resurrected Jesus, and they're spending time with Jesus. They're learning from Jesus again. They're hanging out with Jesus, and, and Jesus is maybe walking with them up to a hillside outside of Jerusalem, and, and he says, hey, before I, before I leave, I just want to know, do you guys have any questions? And one of them raised their hands, like, yeah, I, I got a question. It's probably Peter, you know, he's, he's always the one to speak up. Peter, okay, Peter, yeah, what, what's your question? He's are you gonna do? Uh, are you gonna do the Messiah thing now? Like, is is now the time when you're gonna do all the stuff that the scriptures have talked about? Is this, is this the time? And you're gonna kick Rome out and establish a throne, and you're gonna sit on the throne. You have the scepter, and all the nations will come and bow beneath Israel. Like, is this the time? We'd really like to be your lieutenants, by the way, in that scenario. And is this is this when the Messiah thing's gonna take place? And Jesus, he actually kind of answers that question. He, he says, uh, the times and the dates that the Father has set, they're not for you to know. In other words, you're to live in expectant hope. And then he ascends into heaven. An angel appears and says, as you've seen him go, that's exactly how he's going to return. And so there's this, this recognition that, oh, we're also to live in expectant hope, not for the arrival of Messiah, but for the return of Messiah. Not for the arrival of Jesus, but for the return of Jesus. And here's the point. You might want to write this down. Israel lived in constant hope that Messiah at any moment could be born. You and I, we live in constant hope that at any moment Messiah could return. Messiah could return at any moment. And you might ask, well, pastor, when's that going to happen? I've got a great book for you. I, you know, no, it's, I, no, no, nobody knows, right? The times, the dates are not set for us to know. It's only the Father to know. But it is interesting how every sort of season, uh, the, you know, it's like maybe every 10 or 15 years or so, the church gets really, really interested in Jesus' return, and then we sort of don't get so interested, and then it comes back up. Like, I remember, I don't know how many years ago, but there was a series of books that got written, the Left Behind series. A lot of Christians were reading these books. A lot of, everyone's getting kind of amped up about the return of Jesus, and then it sort of like fades a little bit, like a fad. Oh, uh, really cool, and then it kind of fades. Um, I, and, and so, you know, now, though, I look around the world, I'm like, oh, my gosh, any day Jesus come back. That's how I feel, any day. Like, I just, I'm like, nuclear North Korea, you got glaciers in Greenland that are melting, you got the L.A. Rams leading our division. I mean, <laughs> any day, right? Like, you, like come, you know, and, and uh, but what's interesting is, is, like, in my own life, personally, I'll just I'll share with you. The return of Jesus, like, it's, I've never been one of those, like, that's been forefront in my head. It's, it's never been, like, a, just, a, I've never been, like, so, like, oh, I can't wait. Until, until I have to start standing next to dear friends who are burying a child that they've lost. Until I, I start, as a pastor, walking the road with friends who are diagnosed with cancer, as cancer progresses, takes their life. Until I, I, I started having to walk this road and I see 
people and I, I, I see flickers of, of shame and despair as they battle addiction and maybe not successfully. And it's in the midst of those moments that my heart aches truly for the return of Messiah. And I absolutely believe that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I see that the kingdom so often does crash into our reality today. And you know this if you've been around Overlake for a while. Friends, I absolutely believe that God can heal today. I can raise my hand and give testimony to the fact that I've seen God heal miraculously. But not always. I can absolutely give testimony, as so many of you can give testimony. We know the kingdom's at hand. We've seen it break into our lives. We've seen uh, relationships restored. We've seen forgiveness melt hard hearts. We've seen lives be transformed. We've seen all kinds of beautiful expression of God's kingdom right in our midst. We know it's at hand. We know it's near. Like, we recognize that. And yet we have to, in all honesty, say, but not always. Not always. Not now. Because as people of God, we live in the tension between the now and the not yet. This is what I've often called, we live in the meantime. And it is a mean time. There's so much in this world, in this life, that, that we're living in, and it's, it's a wrestle match. And, and I just want to say that we recognize that the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it represents the source and the culmination of all our hope. There will be a day when every wound is healed. There will be a day when all the oppressed are set free. There will be a day when every wrong is righted. There will be a day when every broken heart is made whole. That will happen. That is the promise of our hope. And so that is what we rest our hearts on. That is what we cling to, like the ancient Israelites cling to the arrival of Messiah. We cling to the return of Messiah because we know our hope is anchored in a promise, a promise made by the Lord himself. And there are a few things that I want to walk away with or have us walk away with as we leave our time together. The first, if you're filling in the blanks, is that hope encourages healing. It encourages healing within us. Uh, I've read a, a great book by Viktor Frankl. Many of you have. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl, uh, he lived through the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. And then after he survived that horrific uh, reality, he ended up going on and he was able to write a book and, and uh, actually become a therapist and care for countless, countless hearts who had gone through trauma and tragedy. But he notes this in his book, that the loss of hope and courage can have a deadly effect on men. The loss of hope and courage has a deadly effect that if there's no hope about a future to look forward to, that so many people just curl up in a corner and die. And he says this, Frankel, Frankel writes, any attempt to restore a man's inner strength in camp 
had first to succeed in showing him some future hope. In other words, there's something to fight for. There's something to hold fast to. There's something to go after, and without that, we miss it. Because hope encourages this kind of healing. It encourages this kind of forward momentum. Many of us who are already followers of Jesus, we know that we pray specifically for people. We pray for healing because we're called to, because the Bible teaches us to. But you need to understand that more and more medical science affirms that our prayers have effective power in in individual lives. I I found this quote. It's from a doctor uh, at a Duke University, Dr. Cohen. He says, studies have shown prayer can prevent people from getting sick. And when they do get sick, prayer can help them get better faster. So hope encourages healing. It, it moves us in this way. It, it draws us forward into a greater reality. Why? Because Jesus is king. Because the king has come already. He has said the kingdom of heaven is near. It is at hand. And so occasionally we see all of these things break into our lives today. So we have to recognize hope encourages healing for us. The second thing is that hope inspires action. It inspires action. That's why we sing a thrill of hope, because hope is inspirational. It's motivational. It moves us forward. And again, I'm talking about hope that has a foundation in God's promise, not what I would call false hope. I found a a great hope, or a great quote, rather, about empty hope. It says, nothing arouses false hope more than the first four hours of a diet. Right? Those are easy, like, oh, this is great, I can do this, and then after four hours, oh, gosh. Uh, no, our hope in Jesus is what I'd call, it's, it's, it's a, a grounded hope, a hope that has a foundation. It's a hope in a Messiah King who has come and who will come again. And 1 Peter 3 says this, it says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer always be ready to explain it, right? That always be ready to move on behalf of your hope. Your hope is in Christ. Be ready to talk about that. Be ready to move on that because hope motivates action. When we hope for a more effective and transformative church, then together we serve as the church family. When we hope for our children to follow Jesus, we are moved to share the love of Jesus with them. When we hope for God's blessing over our lives, then we are moved to listen to God's word more rapidly. Hope inspires action. And the reason for this is because our hope is founded in the person of Jesus, and Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior, friends. And that's why our hope moves us to act. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes this, Hope means a continual looking forward to the eternal world. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you are ready, or excuse me, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The Christians who did most are the ones who thought most of the next. And the last fill in here is that hope anchors us. It anchors our hearts. It anchors our souls. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. In other words, the scripture is telling us to stabilize our rocky and turbulent lives 
with hope. I want you to think about what an anchor does, a physical anchor for a ship. You, you know, you drop an anchor down, and what an anchor does is it, it, it waits, it makes steady, it stabilizes. And it does that oftentimes by securing itself on something unseen. So we do not see our hope, but our hope is a firm anchor. The firm anchor that no matter how the wind blows, no matter how stormy it is on the surface of our lives, our hope is keeping us rock steady. Our hope is keeping us secure. Because our hope is in our rock, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I would say there is hope today. And it's centered upon the person of Jesus. God's King come to earth, His Messiah, His anointed. And not only is the kingdom crashing in on our lives today, but the coming kingdom, stewarded by Jesus, is the final source and the culmination of our hope today. And the reason why all of this is so important to us is because we have to understand the mentality of the Israelites as they clung to hope that Messiah would come. Just like that, we as God's people, we need to cling to hope that Jesus will come again. Messiah will return. Some of you already know this story, but one of our staff members, a beloved staff member, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, went into the hospital. She just thought maybe her thyroid was a little bit, uh, you know, was having some trouble, and so she went in to get some tests done, and within just a few hours, her organs started shutting down, and she had to be put on life support. And still, even today, she's still struggling. She's wrestling. Many of us, many of you actually have gathered around her, begin to pray for her by name, pray specifically that the functionality of her heart, the functionality of her blood, the functionality of her organs, that all of this would increase. And I mean, she is right in the middle of this battle for her life, and she's 59 years old. Just yesterday, we had a memorial service here at Overlake, and it was for really a community member of uh, <clears throat> my family and I, a family friend. Our kids have all gone to this one school. We've lived in this one community in Woodenville, and, and uh, it, was a, it was a community member there. She had a stroke a couple weeks ago, and she was gone shortly thereafter, 51 years old. And so, you know, the community gathered together here, and, and we talked about this woman. She actually lived a really abundant life, a, a life filled with love, a, a life filled with joy. She inspired so many. And we talked about the idea of living in hope at her memorial. And, and the great hope of our faith is just this, that death is not the end. The great hope of our faith is that this life, it's an opportunity for us to learn to live well and to love well, to find God and to follow God. But this is not the end. It's just the beginning. And then I read this passage of scripture. It's absolutely one of my favorite passages in all of the word. It says in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. These words have power. When you're standing next to a parent who's bearing a child, These words have power when you're standing next to a couple who's exhausted and don't think they can make it another day. These words have power when you look into the desperate eyes of someone who's just heartbroken over a relationship with a loved one that is torn apart. If you're looking at a family member who's wrestling with depression and they don't know if there's any hope left, I'm telling you that there is. There is great hope. You know, it's like you read these words and some, some of us read them and we're like, really? Wipe away every tear from our eyes? Really? A world where God lives with us, tangibly with us? Really? Friends, that is the promise our hope is built upon. And maybe the way in which we ignite our hope in this season is just to allow ourselves to acknowledge the grief that is in our lives. I know that that for many of us, that's a reality, that there there are battles you're fighting right now. There are trials you are facing. I I, I know that for, for some, there are addictions that you're right in the midst of, or there's a brokenness that's just... It's just hurt your heart so deeply. You don't know if there's ever going to be a way forward. And if you're in any of these places, I, I would just invite you to come. On Thursday night, we're offering something called a lament service. And the idea of this service is very simply, we want to create a safe space for those who are walking through any place in their lives with grief, that they can just sit safely in that moment, know that they're not alone, Our prayer is that the arms of Jesus are just, you know, available for you, that you experience that in the reality of your grief, in the pain of that, that Jesus is also with you. And we're not going to try to pull any kind of emotional manipulation. We're not going to try to move you through that to a place of, you know, happy clappy, you know, by the end of the service. That's, That's not it. We're simply saying we recognize this. We're sorry for it. We want to pray for you in the midst of it. See, as followers of Jesus, we are absolutely given permission to grieve. So I want to give you that permission as well. And at the same time, I do want to remind you, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And if you read to the end of the book, if you read through Revelation 22, you'll see the three times these words, I am coming. I am coming, I am coming. Jesus says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then the second to last line in all of the canon of scripture, the apostle John is writing, he says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Friends, I want us, especially in this Christmas season, I want us to be the people who say, Jesus come quickly. Jesus, we want you to come. 
we want you to be present with us. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. Lord, we want to be people who live in the hope of a beautiful reunion with you. We want to be people who live in the reality of your advent. And we want to celebrate your your coming 2,000 years ago because you are the arrival of hope. And we also want to celebrate the reality that that hope is not completely fulfilled because your return is imminent, that you are returning, that you are with us now and you will be with us more fully, more tangibly. That right now that heaven is crashing into earth, that heaven is invading in in ways and we can all see circumstances of it, but there is a greater manifestation of your kingdom and for that we have great hope and anticipation. So Lord Jesus, would you meet each and every heart right now whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever we're struggling with, wherever it is that we need you, we ask that you'd meet us in that place. You wrap us up in your arms and whisper your words of hope to us today. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.